first thing I would say is don't trust anyone. You know, <laughs> don't trust me. Why should you trust me? You know, yeah. you don't know me. Don't trust anyone. That's a good point. Don't trust men with beards. They're just number one. Yeah, don't, trust, yeah. <laughs> don't trust men with beards. In episode 76 of the Whiskey and Things podcast, we taste some tasty drams from the independent bottler who's known simply as the Whiskey Baron. That's right. And today we talk to their founder, Jake Sharp, who'll be joining us to chat about these drams and all things whiskey. As always, you can find some more whiskey content, images of videos and all that fun stuff on our social media platforms at Whiskey and Things podcast on Instagram and at Whiskey and Things on Facebook and Twitter. But let's get on with the show now. That's it. I'm going with. You're listening to Whiskey and Things with Nick Kent and Dave Giles. This is Whiskey and Things. Welcome to episode 76. I'm Dave Giles. And I am Nick Kent. You caught me off guard then. You started the show differently than you ever have ever. I know. Well, I thought. (laughs) I know you're doing a teapot impression. (laughs) 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 Sorry, on the video, he's he's posing like a teapot for some reason. I am. For some reason, I don't know Short why. Short and stout? No. Uh, definitely it's not. very tall. Stout, mate. Definitely stout. But um, anyway. Uh, How are you? I'm all right. You're right? I just figured it's uh, a new quarter, Nick. So I thought I'd try something different with the Oh, intro. yeah. 76. Yeah, right. We had our Patreon episode last week. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, now we're on 76. So a new, a new season, we like to say. Yes. And we've actually prepared a few shows for the next coming weeks already because Nick and I were able to meet up this weekend. We had a great time up in Manchester this weekend. Dave came to the bar. And yeah, it was great. It was just great. It was nice, wasn't it? God, we drank some whiskey though, didn't we? Tried uh, lots of different whiskey. Yeah. Without going too mad. Yeah, we recorded a couple of episodes where we drank some whiskey and then we had a few where everyone back, well, you and Danny Gruff back to the uh, to the bar after we played the show and stuff. And after you play the show, the following night as well. And yeah, it was nice to just kind of just talk whiskey without, you know, being recorded, you know? (laughs) (laughs) What's that thing called? Being mates. Uh, (laughs) Oh yeah. Remember that? Remember when uh, we were mates? I remember when we were mates. That's the thing. I finished off my Westland American Oak with my mate Dave Giles. Yeah, the other night. It was night. nice. And it was I haven't had that since it. we had the trial, so that was uh, that was really nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's it. Yeah, we've recorded a few episodes. We've got some fun stuff coming up. It's it's, it's an exciting few weeks. It's going to be an exciting few weeks. And today's episode is wonderful as well. So we've had a wicked, really wicked guest. We've just finished recording with. Man, I uh, really enjoyed this chat. Uh, really enjoyed this chat. I thought it was a, he's really honest, really open, yeah. uh, just really interesting. So we sp- we just spent an hour and a bit. It was quite a yeah, long it might time. Be a actually. long episode. This, yeah, um, yeah I, you know, it's all interesting though. So stay, stay tuned. I'm not sure how much I'm editing out. Probably yeah. not much to be honest. But, um, um, lovely man called Jake. Jake Sharp. Yeah, aka uh, the Whiskey Baron, or he well, uh, fronts the Whiskey Baron operation, as it were, independent bottlers. Yeah. Yeah, we just sat down with him for a bit. He also has a YouTube channel as well. We didn't really talk about that either, which oh, really? is fine. We had all kinds of other things to talk about. Yeah, he reviews uh, whiskeys. Love it. watch it. He did the Johnny Walker Blue this week. You'd love that one, Dave. It's interesting. He likes it. Does he, does he like it? <laughs> I get the impression he probably liked it. Well, you've got to go and, go and watch it. Interesting. 
But anyway, we've had a talk to him about his whiskies. Um, three whiskies we tried. Whispies, whisperies. Three whiskies Whis- we tried. Wh- whisper it quietly, guys. Three. Three, three whisperies. Yeah, the quiet whisper. Whisperies. Wow. Yes, as you can tell, <laughs> we've just done three, and a couple of these were cask strength. So I'm having to um, try and pronounce things properly. But yeah, we'll go into it. We've done two for the show, like we usually do, and we've saved one tasting for a Patreon extra video, which if you are a subscriber, you will be able to go onto our site and watch that as well. But uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll put that up at some point this week, not straight away, but it will go up towards the end of the week, probably. Yeah. So here's uh, the Whiskey Baron, even though he doesn't like calling himself the Whiskey Baron. It's an homage. Uh, Jake Sharp, everyone. Here he is. Homage. <laughs> homage? <laughs> homage. Jake Sharp, welcome to Whiskey and Things. How are you today? Thank you very much. I'm absolutely fantastic, guys. It's a sunny Monday. I feel like I'm, uh, I'm missing a microphone here. <laughs> it's fine. We just do it to cover our faces. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, that's that's the new reason. Feel like a radio DJ. <laughs> I got a funny story about that. Do you know um you know Lionel Richie? Not personally, but yeah, go on. When he sings, he holds his microphone really low. Like when he does live stuff, so it's like on his chest, doesn't cover ah, his face. Like a crooner. And uh, it's it's an absolute nightmare for sound engineers to have a, a dynamic microphone which is that far away. Technical stuff, right? And he, a sound engineer at a festival once said, um, "Lionel, what, what's that all about? Like, why are you doing that? It's making my life hard." And he he pointed to his face and said, "They paid to see this." I don't know if that's a true story, but if it, it's a great story either way, it is now it is now. Yeah, it's in a podcast, of course it is. Well, uh, I'm, always, yeah. I'm always like asking drummers or suggesting to drummers that they raise or lower their cymbals in you know because when you're in the pit taking photos of them the cymbal always goes over their face and they're always right, annoyed about it I'm like just raise it up <laughs> anyway I'm not here to talk about drums we're here to talk about whiskey no, and abso- um, absolutely you've been kind enough to send us a few drams of um, the whiskey baron bottlings for us to try today so yeah. as we're go- before we go into our little chat, let's let's pour a little bit and uh, have a little a little bit of a uh, chat about it. Which right. one do you want to start? I see with? you're about to tuck in with the Port Charlotte. I would go for that one second. Right, noted. Noted. Just that is a peat monster. Okay. Um, you, yes. you want your palate sort of fresh for for at least one of them, and then you can go into that <laughs> one. Like, uh, nice. Okay. So what we're going to start with then? Glen Tocker Six. Yeah. Glen Tocker. Yes. Cool. Right. So, so yeah, this uh, is actually one of our most recent releases. Um, the thing I love about Glen Tucker's, it's one of my favorite distilleries. It's so underrated. But the reason it's one of my favorites is it works fantastically well at a range of different ages uh, and also in a range of styles. So this is a uh, Sherry Hogshead, uh, exclusive maturation in a Sherry Hogshead for six years. Uh, bottled at cask strength, 62.5%. Oh my God. It's, yeah, it's, it's a beast. Um, but then, you know, <laughs> we, we equally bottled one in our Renaissance line at Glen Tocker's 22 year old uh, from a bourbon barrel. Now, if you put these two next to each other, you would never in a million years guess that they're from the same distillery, you know? Interesting. Such diversity. Um, and it's such a shame because, you know, in my opinion, not enough is done with the spirit, you know, they only released it as a single, a single malt a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, 
For anyone who doesn't know who's listening, Glenn Tucker's. It's the one. You should try it. I've not heard yeah. of that distillery before. It's one Either that's passed I. me. It's one that's yeah. passed me by so, so far. So I'm, I'm excited. New distillery for us. Yeah. Is it one that yeah. might have ended up in blends before? Or are they... Oh, massively. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Used predominantly for blends. Yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, in my opinion, just so underrated. Uh, it was released under the, the Ballantines thing. They did the, the mm. Glen Tockers, the Milton Duff, and... Uh, oh, we were talking about this last night on a tasting It was thing. three of them released, like, two, three years ago. And they were all 15-year-olds anyway. And, right. like, it's grand. It's not a bad release, but I just think they could do so much with the spirit from the distillery. Um, yeah. Was that the Ballantines release where they were literally releasing the single malts which went into their blend? Is that yeah. the thing you're talking about? Correct. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't yeah, heard yeah. about Glenn that. Since, is one of those main ones. Yeah, yeah I hadn't heard yeah. about that since until last night. I, I love that transparency from that. Because yeah. they, they released them under Ballantines. Like, this is what goes into it. I, I love that. And it makes me want to actually go out and try one. And apparently I kind of nearly am. Ne- nearly least, are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So um, while we um, have a little nose of this and uh, maybe a couple of sips, uh, Jake, We'd like to know a little bit more about you, Jake. So can you give us your whiskey origin story, so to speak? Oh, you know, how, origin story. How did, like how did you get into hero. it? Yeah, exactly. With a beard uh, like that, mate, you definitely are in my eyes. Oh, thank you very much. Um, how did I get into whiskey? I kind of fell into it, in all honesty, lads. It was a bit of a happy coincidence. I worked my sort of entire adult life in sales and uh, was finishing up with a, um, a company uh, actually out in Australia. I've been working with this company in the UK and they really wanted to keep me on board. I wasn't so keen, um, but they sort of enticing me out to Australia as sort of a way to keep me on board. I left a guy, uh, a friend of mine actually running my UK office and went out to Australia to set up an office out there and still just didn't quite enjoy it. Sort of decided I would do the, I think it was a three and a half month minimum contract and once the contract was up, I just sort of said, look, I'm done. And I mentioned halfway through the contract to my friend running the office in the UK, look, I'm leaving. So you might want to start looking for something else if you sort of, unless you want to continue on your own. And he was approached, funnily enough, a few days later by this whiskey uh, company or a guy who owned a whiskey company. Um, and he sort of said, you know, do you, do you like whiskey? Are you interested? And I, I'd always been interested in whiskey. You know, I found it uh, fascinating and and. Thoroughly enjoyed a Johnny Walker Blue Label from time to time. Didn't know an awful lot, though. So I sort of said, yeah, you know, why not? Um, Went in, had the interview, worked with them for two years. Uh, It wasn't the best experience for a number of reasons. I won't go into it. Um, But essentially, for a multitude of reasons, decided to set up myself. Uh, And yeah, I think that was the beginning of 2018. Uh, officially launched the the company. Uh, it took me a year and eleven months to get all of my licenses, so uh, I was working part time at a local golf club, and also um, delivering pizzas for Domino's whilst I was waiting for my licenses to get in. Not exactly the start in the industry that I wanted, but you know you've got to you've got to do what you've got to do, and I needed money to pay the bills and uh, and invest in the company, you know. So. So yeah, set up the Whiskey Baron, finally got our licenses and uh, yeah, we haven't looked back since. We've been plowing on. All right. Uh, question. Hit me. What, what license? Like, oh, how so, many licenses? Right, that's, the, that's the question you want to ask. So you yeah. have a lot of different licenses. If you want to uh, distribute 
alcohol in bottles to wholesalers, uh, you need what is called an AWRS, Alcohol Wholesale Registration Scheme. So for anyone who supplies Tesco's or Master of Malt, and not so much Master of Malt, basically, if you want to supply any wholesalers and get it out there on a big scale, you'll need an AWRS. Right. That's the first thing. You then arguably also need a personal alcohol license. That can be argued one way or another, but I went and got one anyway. Good. Uh, you need a what's known as a WAUGA. So that's warehouse, uh, warehouse keepers and owners of warehouse goods regulation. For me, that allows me to buy casks and hold them in bond. So duty suspense, if you think every litre of alcohol in the UK, there is £28.74 worth of duty due on every litre. Now, a cask can have anywhere from, say, 100 to 500 litres in it. You're talking thousands of pounds due to the government per cask. So this is the license that they take very seriously. And that's the one that took me a year and 11 months to get completely. Uh, so now I can basically work with any and all bonded warehouses throughout the UK. Uh, obviously, I deal predominantly with Scotch whiskey. Scotch whiskey casks have to be distilled, matured, and bottled in Scotland to be considered Scotch. So most of the warehouses I work with are up in Scotland. And then aside from that, uh, I've also got a... Um, what have we got? We've got a compounding license. I've got a premises license. What's a compounding license? A compounding I mean, license. That, that was just for a bit of fun. That was for a project that I was working on. <laughs> I don't really need it long term, to be honest. It basically allows me to mix and compound spirits into a new... So if I wanted to create an RTD, for example... I would need a compounding license. What's an RTD? Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. RTDs are like cans of drinks, so ready right. to drink. Ready, ready to drink. Oh, oh, right. Sorry. I thought it was, so uh, I thought it was a Star Tim, Wars droid. Tim's in the tins and uh, gin and tonics in tins right. and they're RTDs. Right. So that's something that we, you know, we've got a few brands that we'd like to work on down the line in that space. So it's good to have the license. Yeah, I think that's all of our licenses. Amazing. In all honesty, I try and forget. I did them all. It was the biggest arsehole ever, and I've just put it behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Guess how many licenses you need to do a podcast? None. Absolutely none. I Absolutely. Done I'd love it if you actually said, actually, you, you need three. Uh, this, <laughs> this, and this. Are we and here? we if haven't got anything. have <laughs> got none of them. Yeah, um, no, no. So uh, that's that's good news for us, I guess. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, the whiskey baron. Then, so what? What is the whiskey baron? It's an independent bottling company, essentially. So distilleries produce their own spirit, build a brand, bottle the spirit under the brand, distribute it globally. Independent bottlers, they don't make their own whiskey. So as opposed to making you know, one style or a number of styles of whiskey and saying, this is us, I have the freedom to go around choosing casks from different distilleries based on style, based on age, based on whatever it is that I'm looking for. Um, and, um, and then I bottle them under our brand. So it works pretty much the same brand wise. It's just a fact of we are not sort of set to one distillery, one, one type of spirit. So yeah, that's pretty much what the Whiskey Baron is. I mean, we also deal in casks and there's sort of that element on the back end, but we we are very much focused on the brand. Uh, you know, we're looking to expand the brand, get into supermarkets moving forward. So that ultimately is what the Whiskey Baron is all about. 
obviously you, you set up in 2018. So predominantly at the moment, you're acquiring whiskey after it's matured or at a certain age. Do you have plans in the future? And I'm sure this is very expensive, but do you have plans to just invest in new make before yeah, and, and grabbing a cask at the start? Or is that yeah. not something that you would do? It's something that we already do. Uh, ah, there it you're is. Absolutely right, Dave. It's bloody expensive, but generally across the board, it's quite expensive to invest in whiskey. Even if you're buying, you know, 10 year old stock, maybe you want to finish it a certain way. You know, just recently we bought uh, a load of, um, bought a load of Glen Ord. Um, was it Glen Ord? No, it was Glen Elgin. Actually, we bought a load of Glen Elgin most recently. And, uh, we're looking to re-rack that now quite shortly into fresh Margot casks. So it'll finish in them for a while and then we'll bottle it. So even when we're buying stock that's aged, it can still be sat on for, you know, six months, a year, two years, five years, 10 years. It depends. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the moment we are buying stock of all sorts of ages. Um, I tend to steer away from the newer distilleries purely because you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. You know, you buy a new make from a distillery that doesn't have a 10 year old on the market. It's a risk. But if yeah. I'm buying well, like I say, new make Glen Elgin, for example, I can taste 10 year old Glen Elgin and I know pretty much what I'm buying is going to be like in 10 years' time. The whiskey. One of your whiskies was featured in Forbes recently, one of the top 10 whiskies of 2020 of Philippe Schreberg's. Um, it's a Springbank. Yes. Tell us a bit about that process. Like when you kind of came across that cask, did you think it was something special? Yes. Um, yeah. we, we actually did, as I said, Stevie's here, our. Um, well, content creator, social media manager. He basically makes the whole brand look sexy. Stevie, jump in and say hello to everyone come quickly. <laughs> We're wearing hey, the same stuff today. We went up into town and we arrived at the train station wearing exactly the same gear. <laughs> we clearly spent too much time together. Too much time together. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Um, but Stevie and I did a piece of content about the Springbank because it was such a special cask. We were blown away by it. And it was actually purchased from a friend and now a colleague, somebody that works with us as well, called Charlie. Uh, his dad actually purchased the cask, or six casks actually, back in 95, 96? I can't remember, 95 or 96, mm. uh, direct from the distillery and has held them since. So uh, I actually went to school, neighboring schools with Charlie. Uh, we were always sort of two naughty little boys interested in whiskey. Like I say, you know, Johnny Walker Blue, or, you know, if you were a uh, just looking for a, a, you know, a quick fix and Macallan gold or something would be passed around. And we'd always end up being the ones talking about whiskey. And from a young age, I think I was about yeah, 14, 15, he started talking about these casks that he owned. And I thought it was amazing. And then he started bringing samples along to the party. So from the age of about yeah, 14, 15 through to, well, through to the point where I set up the company, I was trying that whiskey at different, you know, intermittently over the years. Oh, wow. uh, and I always thought it was really cool. But then when I set up the Whiskey Baron, yeah, it was just, I realized it was a whole different level of um, amazing good. and rare. And, and exactly, my palate had developed and I was just, oh my God, this is incredible. So yeah, for me, it was really a case of convincing Charlie, I need this. You don't. <laughs> Give it to me and we'll do something <laughs> cool with it, you know? And I think Charlie was really happy. At the end of the day, you know, he's got 24 bottles out of it. He, uh, he got... Well, I think he was very happy with his financial return, um, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was a great project all around. We were astounded at how quickly it sold out. I mean, we put bottles on pre-sale 
And bearing in mind, you know, we've been going, like I say, since 2018, we're only three years old, very, very grassroots company. You know, it's, it's, it's all our own money. It's not like we have investors or anything. So we're very frugal with marketing, et cetera, et cetera, which is why when I've got a contact like Philippe, who very kindly did a, a write-up for us, and I was so glad that it was such a good write-up as well, it makes all the difference. Uh, and it was really on the back of that. We sold out in eight hours. It was wow. you know, 553 bottles. Wow. And um, we've had people chasing us for more since. So I was delighted. And, and yeah, I mean, as, uh, as a young bottler to be able to bottle a 23-year-old Springbank, very privileged, you know. Um, and as with all of our whiskeys thus far, I've said, uh, I said it time and time again, I take no, you know, all kudos goes to Springbank for that release. You know, we don't make any bones. It was bottled at cask strength. It was exclusively matured in one cask. We didn't mess around with it. We didn't finish it. We didn't add any coloring, nothing. It was from Springbank. They did amazing. They constantly do an amazing job bottling great whiskey. So for us to be able to, you know, proudly put the whiskey brand label on one of them meant a lot to us. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when you said he had six casks, all of them would have tasted very different, correct? Yes. So yeah. was, you, you then found the one that you wanted from him or there was one that jumped out and you were like, hmm, can we they, have that one? The disappointing thing was by the time he came to selling them to me when I had set up the company, there were only two left. Oh. He had actually, so uh, his dad had sold four of them off um, to companies like uh, The Malt Man and I think one went to, uh, I think Douglas Lang. Um, so yeah, four of them had already been sold off. There were two left, very, very different. Uh, the one that we bottled was very sherry forward. My personal sort of preferred style of Springbank. The other one was still a sherry butt, but it was sulfured, heavily sulfured. And whilst I thoroughly enjoyed it, I felt like it could have been a bit more of a hit and miss sort of a scenario. So yeah, yeah. a bit of a niche when it comes to, yeah, that taste. Exactly. Yeah. And when you're getting five, 600 bottles out of a cask, you know, particularly when you're spending that much money on it, you want them to go relatively quickly. So I think in the end, we definitely made the right decision. And I actually drew a, a, a few bottles out of the other cask anyway. So <laughs> I've still got it to enjoy myself. You know? <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. Nick, I, I know we can carry on talking about Whiskey Baron and all things Whiskey Baron in a moment. But shall we just do a little review of this current whiskey bit and then perhaps open the other one oh, while like we carry on our conversation? Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm, yeah, intrigued. Please do. So I just want to say this is my kind of whiskey. Have you even tried it yet, Dave? Yeah. I've, I've, okay, I, have you? I think it's incredible. I like a str- I like car strength because I like the way it explodes um, sure. in your mouth and reacts. Um, I like that big sensation in the mouth. But beyond that sensation, this is full of flavour. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the nose, I was getting uh, pineapple cubes and, and lemon zest mixed in with a little bit of almond. And then in the mouth, I can't really, I, I just thought it was incredible. It's just, I mean, you can taste the sherry influence for sure, uh, it's, but not. it's not just a sherry in your mouth. It's, this is so good. This is so, so good. Explosion. Um, and one thing I got, which I haven't had on anything else on the palate, was strawberries. Really? Yeah. That's just interesting. On, just on the tip. I just a little bit on the tip of my tongue. I was like, what's that? Uh, that's that tart strawberry fresh from a field, you know, the ones mm. which actually have flavour, not supermarket stuff. For sure, for sure. 
you know, a strawberry which has actually grown properly. That's fascinating, Nick. And I'll tell you as to why uh, the Port Charlotte, which you're trying next, is I have um, strawberries in the tasting notes. Okay. Uh, This one I didn't, but this is the thing about whiskey, which is why I love it. Everyone has their, you know, there's no right or wrong. I love, you can get strawberries and I can get, you know, something completely different. So, so what, what have you got in your tasting notes for this then? Let's see if, let's see if, uh, how far away we were. Oh, the Glen Tockers for me is very malt forward, custard creamy. You got some dark chocolatey fudge on the nose. And then the palate is sort of a bit oily. Again, you've got that sort of malt forward digestive biscuitiness, uh, sherry sweetness, marzipan, sultanas, uh, and then finish. I mean, it's, it's actually not as long as you'd expect, given that it's so full, sort of full on. I think it's quite a medium length, but warm, spicy, and sort of like a chocolatey nib type finish. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for six years old, 62.5%, it's incredibly well-rounded. Um, yeah, absolutely. For mm. me, I was just like, forget adding water. You know, people can play around with water themselves, and I encourage you to do so because it brings out layers and layers and layers of different flavors. Yeah, um, that, that's the other reason why I enjoy getting a car strength, either sample or or a bottle, because you can then have more fun with it that way, and it lasts longer when you when you start doing those kind of things. Like, let me let me find it. Let me mm. find it, the perfect ABV for it. No, that's exactly. I couldn't agree more, Dave. You learn so much more. You understand things more, uh, and ultimately, your palate. You know, it, it, you develop your palate so much more because you're getting used to that full-on flavor. And it's not right for everybody, but I always encourage people to do with a cast strength whiskey is try it as is first. Add as much water or, or even, you know, if it's your thing to have a cocktail or you know, I personally hate Coca-Cola, but if you like whiskey and Coke, <laughs> do it. But try it neat first to see what you think. And even if you hate it this time, you'll develop your palate that much more for next time trying something else, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I completely agree. It's interesting. I, I've never actually thought chocolate digestive before as a whiskey tasting note or custard creams. And as soon as you said it, I was like, I need to start searching for that when I'm, when I'm doing <laughs> tasting notes because I love biscuits. Right. So, and, and <laughs> actually uh, the aftertaste really is similar to have having had a chocolate digestive. It's really there. It's right. I'm like, Oh God, maybe that you've just said it, but I could, I've still got that with a hint of fruit. On top, uh, it's a very accessible tasting note as well that everyone would know. The chocolate digestive. So some tasting notes people say, and they're completely accurate. But it, it might be foods I've never even tried in my life because they're a bit fancy or yeah. something. But it's like chocolate digestive. Yes, Custard something cream. I was getting, which is on, I think might be a controversial uh, tasting note sometimes, but I find it very comforting. It's like reminds me of um, really expensive wood furniture, like freshly polished. You know, hundred percent. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. again, that people might old... think that's weird. What you like the taste of furniture polish? Well, no, it, it isn't. But it's. We were talking about this the other week, and I said, "What is that lemon polish stuff?" I literally said, "The tasting note. It's not wood pot. It's this specific thing, mm. and I can't remember what it's called. Lemon. It might just be pledge. I'm thinking of, but it's nice. <laughs> Whatever my mum used to use. Wood silk. Do you guys remember this stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm tasting this whiskey, I was smelling it, and I was just like, it's this. It's not like, but it's this specifically. And it's really weird how scents and flavors can do that to your mind. Yeah. And the olfactory system is amazing. And that's, again, one of the things I love about whiskey is it really does sort of start 
joining memories together, mm. you know, particularly when you start verbalizing. I really started moving forward in my whiskey tasting journey. And just by the way, I would still consider myself a complete novice when, yeah. it, comes, when it comes to all things whiskey, actually. I know it's technically my profession. I wouldn't consider myself a professional. You know, I'm very much an amateur. I'm at the foot of the mountain, so much more to learn. But I found that from the tasting point of view, I really started developing when I started actually verbalizing what I was tasting. Because every time you verbalize it, your mind recognizes it and almost stores that memory safer away so that you can access it next time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I very much enjoyed this. This is wonderful. Um, if this noise, was available, I would be buying it. And how much would it be? It was forty-five pounds. Oh, I would definitely buy that. I that's I'd be on your website now buying it for a seven TCL. I uh, seven TCL. Yeah. Wow. There are, I think, three, maybe four bottles left on our distributor site. It's not something that we're going to go into now. Um, I think I mentioned this to you the other day, Nick, but we do have another business that we're sort of very slowly building up. It's grassroots at the minute called Ushki. Um, and there are, I think, a small number of bottles left on there. Um, but yeah, on our website and all of our distributors ran out of it. Right. Much straight away. Nice. Well, I, I'm, uh, I'm, he's, I'm, he's, I'm going I home. I can see you tapping in. Why don't we pause the podcast for a second? That's fine. We're, we're fine. We're fine. <laughs> Thing is, he's got a, uh, he's got Ushki bookmark now since Vin was on. So. Yeah, I yes. do. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Very good. <laughs> don't give away my secret, Nick. Don't give it away. No, we're a transparent podcast. How many, how many of these bottles uh, were out there? Or. When you originally, how many did you get out of the cask? 280, 280, 280 bottles. Yeah. Yeah. I kept one case back for myself because again, it is just the sort of thing you can't go wrong with it. Six year old Glenn Tucker's and it just, uh, not to toot my own horn, but nobody else is going to toot it. Right. It's bloody fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Whiskey. Let me ask you about the the whiskey baron, like label. Yes. I guess this is you on the bottle in the nice suit and the, uh, and the beard and all that kind of thing. How often do you have to refer to yourself in the third person? Uh, I don't. I actually, I, I was never my intention to become the whiskey baron. It's a privilege and uh, a great responsibility to some level being called the whiskey baron because the, the original group of gents, the, the whiskey barons, I mean, the amount they did for the industry was phenomenal. Mm. Glenn Tockers, for example, was founded by James Buchanan, one of the uh, one of the whiskey barons. So, yeah, to ever live up to that sort of, uh, I, I I don't know if I can. Um, the really the whole idea about the brand was to pay homage to these gents, not right, to try and right. become one of them. Right. So, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the whiskey barons and why they were called the whiskey barons and what they what they did. Actually, they became uh, sort of, they were, they were awarded their peerage, most of them, not for anything to do with their work in whiskey. Uh, you know, a, a lot of them did, um, you know, a lot of work with, uh, with the community and, and, and you know, built hospitals, built all different sorts of things. But um, essentially, they started a lot of the brands that we know and love today. And they sort of took whiskey from being this drink of the no-gooders, you know, this rough drink of the Scots, 
you know, and the English didn't view the Scots all that well back in the day, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, it was, you know, rough and rugged. Mm. Uh, and, and they basically made it into the drink of the London gentlemen. They were these incredible guys that, I mean, really marketing as a whole, they came up with a lot of different ideas about marketing. They would turn up to different hotels. There's a fantastic story about, um, I'm pretty sure it is Jimmy Buchanan. Might be, might be one of the Jews. I'm pretty sure it's Jimmy Buchanan, uh, who uh, uh, a London hotel, very prominent London hotel, wouldn't stock his whiskey. So he paid all of these models to go in dressed up to the nines. They booked out one of the biggest tables in the place. They all went in, sat down, and the first thing they did was order Buchanan's blend. Mm, and brilliant. the waiter was like, well, we don't have it. And they hit the roof. They all get up. I'm outraged. You don't have Buchanan shouting to the whole restaurant. And of course, it was just a publicity stunt, you know? So this sort of thing, they were really, you know, lateral thinkers, way ahead of their time. Pretty cool dudes, to be honest, you know? Uh, like I say, which is why I would never call myself a whiskey baron. I just wanted to pay homage to these gents, tell their stories, um, and, and really get whiskey, you know, it's starting to come back to its heyday, I feel, you know? Mm -hmm. I think the only thing we need more so is, is new drinkers into the category. I think we need more new drinkers into the category, uh, and that's kind of the aim of us, is to be more welcoming, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, cool. So, yeah, because I, I see what you mean. It's, it's uh, If you are a whiskey drinker right now, it's, it's, there's manna from heaven everywhere, isn't there? There's so, oh. much, great, there's so much great spirit everywhere. But how, how do we reach people who haven't tried it before? And and we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, a poster I saw in a bar from Glenfiddich, was it, Nick? Or was, yeah, it was Glenfiddich, yeah. Uh, where they, would, it, they basically said, um, I can't even remember, well, unlearn whiskey. Yeah. whiskey, you know, tr trying to make people in a bar realise it, it's not just necessarily whiskey with a couple of ice cubes or, or you know, and... and, and, and First and foremost was the highball. They were trying to get people to have a highball. I think it was a highball. Um, uh, yeah, it was. Which, which is a really, oh, something I've only discovered recently. It's a really great way of drinking whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. This is the thing. So, I mean, obviously with whiskey, you need to be putting out really great expressions. Otherwise, no one's going to pick up your brand. However, as a sort of aside to that, aside from the fact that we obviously bottle the best whiskeys on the market, <laughs> we also have uh, yeah, clearly we also have um, an app which is sort of well, we hope will break down those barriers essentially you can download it Apple Android doesn't matter uh, and it's an augmented reality app so it's a bit of fun you scan the label and the little man on the label the whiskey baron will jump off the label onto the table in front of you and he'll basically give you a tour of the whiskey so he gives you a full history of the distillery Get out of town. Tasting notes. He gives you cocktail recipes. Right. For Shut the front door. Whiskey, <laughs> and then I'm, he not, gives I'm you, not having this. I'm not having this. Order that Glen Tocchers, Dave. I'll tell you what. You'll see when you get it. I already have. You've, 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 uh, well, you also get food pairings. Food pairings with every. Oh, my God. Oh, my. You're, you're, pu you're pulling my pants down here, aren't you? You're, you're, <laughs> this is a lie. This is an elaborate hoax. There's no, no way no, it no, does no. that. 100%. People are, are blown away when they see it. And this is the thing. Augmented reality is such a new technology. I don't think people quite get it yet. Uh, and a couple of people have referred to it as a bit of a gimmick. 
Mm. And I understand why, you know, but we have tried to add real value there. And I believe that a lot of the people who are using this app have come back to us saying, we've just had the best evening, because you know, playing around with a bit of an app. That's one side of it. But then going away and actually making all these different cocktails, cooking a bit of food and sitting down. And like I say, these people are trying the whiskey neat. They're then making a bit of a fun cocktail to go around. They're then having a food pairing with it. All of a sudden, you've experienced that whiskey in three different formats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that price of that bottle of whiskey suddenly becomes incredible value for money, doesn't it? Exactly, exactly. So experiences. Yeah, there's, there's, in fairness, there's a bottle of wine called 19 Crimes, which I have experienced AR. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, but it doesn't really add much. It doesn't really add much to the drinking experience. It does feel like a gimmick when that happens. Yes. It's a um, nice story. It's yeah. cool, but it doesn't do anything for you. No, it doesn't change the. Li- it doesn't. You know, it doesn't help you enjoy that wine anymore. Dave, to be completely honest with you, and that's the only way to be. I saw Nineteen Crimes. It's where I got the idea from. Yeah, I said cool. you can do something better than this. They haven't yeah, 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 far yeah. enough. Yeah, and yeah. so, with one of the first things was I didn't want to just have. I think the the app for them is uh, Living Labels. Yeah. Or living wine labels. It's not actually for 19 crimes. So the first thing we wanted to do was get an app built just for us. Yeah. Um, because then when you do that, you've got full control over Absolutely. what it's going to do, you know? Yeah. Lego have been doing that for a while with their sets. You can buy a Lego set and it's got the augmented reality. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Stop blowing yeah, my Dave's mind. The two of you. The two of you. Why are you doing this to me? Seriously, it's great. Again, Try. it's the same thing where you hold it up in front of it on the table no. and all this stuff no. happens around the Lego set. No. You're cool. right there, Dave. Do you want to go lie no. down? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. I think I need a whiskey. Shall we open this... Uh, for this next one the Port Charlotte you're listening to the Whiskey and Things podcast that's a beast a 13 year old Port Charlotte I love these sample bottles by the way Jake they're really oh, beautiful you, um, I appreciate that possibly the nicest sample bottles we've been sent Nick would you agree with that I would agree I'll also say because of their shape and how they are, they fit into that package very nicely. So you've got that nice flat box that comes through, which fits through the letterbox, which is fantastic. Yeah. Are we trying very, yeah, very smart. Thank you. The other thing I was really keen to do, so exactly that, Nick, we wanted to make sure it gets people's letterboxes. We wanted it to look smart. The other thing, though, is I hate receiving 30 milliliter samples because you can't share them. It's like just enough. So we wanted to do 50 mil samples. That's enough for two people. Granted, two small drams, but if you want to share, or you can come back to it later, you know? So yeah, that was definitely something for me. Or Nick can have a bit of special time. Yeah, I I managed to (laughs) refrain from Nick's special time this this time around. Often before we start recording, Nick likes to have had a little sample beforehand. Just to get my uh, aura in, just to get, you know, just to (laughs) get the sighter. It's like a... Yes, he turns the lights off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and that has a good old time so the color um, is beautiful you, wow. you've said that you've said that this is a beast what is special about this obviously we we have actually tried a port charlotte we've got the was it called the heavy heavily peated nick is that's that 10 year old heavily peated this is pretty much their standard bottling isn't it yeah so the the award-winning uh whiskey of the year that's won it for the last couple of years i think on various sites um yeah, so that's their standard heavily peated. Cool. I mean, Port Charlotte as a whole is heavily peated. Yeah. I think that's largely matured in bourbon barrels and probably some sherry casks. I, in all honesty, I don't know off the top of my head. This is obviously single cask. 
Uh, it's been matured exclusively in a Von Romanet barrique. Now, do you know much about your wines, gents? Mm, no, I was going to ask about the Von, Von Romanet. That's not one that's... that's uh... Von. Ro- I know nothing about wine either, just to say, but um, I know a bit about Von Romanet because of this. Uh, Von Romanet is arguably the best Burgundy that you can get, the best sort right. of... So this is a first fill Burgundy wine cask, specifically a Von Romanet wine cask. Um, matured for 13 years, cask strength. What are you laughing at there, Dave? Go on, hit me. Uh, Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Romanet. <laughs> there's, there's, there's something about it, a Romanet Burgundy. It just, it just <laughs> Maybe we should have done something there. Fair play, yeah. Um, it tickled me. <laughs> that was all. I was like, ah, Rom- Romanet Burgundy. Stay classy. So you're getting so, the leather-bound books, yeah? I was going to yeah. say, yeah. <laughs> Rich mahogany? Yes. I own a lot of leather-bound books. I'm kind of a big deal. Oh, wow. This smell is unlike anything I've smelled. Do you agree, Nick? There's a fruitiness. I'm trying the, to pick stuff out now. It's like, obviously, oh. there's a, the, the, the peat is on the nose as well, but it, it, it smells different to other peat stuffs I've had. But anyway, mm-hmm. Nick, I think I think we should carry on drinking this because there's a few other things we wanted to talk about. So we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll carry on smelling and um, and drinking this while we just just uh, have a little bit more of a chat. Hey, you go ahead. I'm just going to stay over here with this. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. You go ahead. You got this. You got this. Continue to open over the next half an hour, forty minutes. By the way. Oh my that god! Will yeah. Change and change and change. Every time I come back to this jam, I find something different. Writing the tasting notes for it was a headache. tough. Yeah. It was really, really tough. The tears on this glass are ridiculous. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Legs for days. Yeah. One thing um, that we found on on your website earlier, which we wanted to bring up. Is um, Nick's written it down wrong? He's put the angle package on my on my piece of paper, but oh, clearly well, underneath he, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it depends how which way you look at it, Dave. Yeah, depends <laughs> what angle you look at it from. Yeah, for sure. Very, very good. Sorry, the angel package. Um, <laughs> so now this is where you're um, offering a, a service where people can. Buy a cask, and essentially for the for the idea being for the for when I've got a newborn baby, buy a cask at that point. Eighteen years later, you've got a, a fully matured, very well matured cask of whiskey. Yeah. So tell us a bit about this service and, and why you decided to do it. So, oh God, where to start? I suppose um, I started in the industry. The first company I was working with, I was selling casks of whiskey as an investment. That was my sort of first role. And at the time, it seemed completely kosher. Everything seemed to, you know, it seemed to add up. And, and I invested a lot of my own money as well. You know, I, I did very well um, for the company and, and brought a lot of new clients on board. Spent, you know, invested a lot of my, my own money as well and then realized it wasn't quite what it was supposed to be. Um, it's something that I'm sure you guys have seen recently, this whole investment world going crazy. Mm-hmm. In, in whiskey, not just for the bottles, but more and more so for casks. And um, in honesty, it's something you've got to be really, really careful about. You know, I don't want to go down a, a road uh, here and, and sort of not answer your question. So I'll try and keep it brief. But, but ultimately, there's a lot of people out there selling casks for well above and beyond what they're worth uh, to investors uh, as investments. They're promising and even guaranteeing in some instances all sorts of crazy returns um, and it's really worrying for a few reasons. Um, for me as a bottler, it's driving the price of casks up. I mean, I'm seeing the price of casks 
fly at the minute. To give you an idea, since the start of the year, I've seen an increase between 30 and 60% from my suppliers in price. Wow. From the start of this year. Um, uh, And ultimately, it's because more and more investors are coming into the space. So what we wanted to do is provide a service where we could work with whiskey enthusiasts like yourself, because ultimately, I think it's a real privilege to own casks. Uh, It's just how that works is what's more important. And if you're holding it for the long term, i.e. tucking a bit of money away for for a child, it can do a number of things. It can teach them about respect for alcohol. Uh, it can teach them about whiskey, you know, more specifically and, and give them a bit of a love for whiskey. Charlie, the guy who we bought the Springbank cask from, he grew up with those casks of whiskey. He visited the distillery once every two years and now has such a passion for whiskey. Yeah. So, you know, there's something for the, for the kid to come out of it. Um, but ultimately as well, it means that we can lock up stock with a private client. It stays under our sort of wowger, under our control. Uh, and then once the child turns 18, they have the option to continue holding it, to sell it back to us, which means we can have an 18-year-old cask that we can then bottle. Uh, or they can bottle it themselves and have, you know, their own whiskey. If you wanted, you know, Dave's own, you know, Nick and Dave's whiskey, whiskey and things podcast, you know, we design your whole label and, and do a bottling for you. So we wanted to sort of go down that route as opposed to saying, come to us to buy casks. It's the best investment ever. Yeah, I'm promising all these silly returns because a lot of that is going on in the market at the minute and it's causing a lot of problems across the board. Hmm. So within that, I mean, I I love your passion there about making sure it's done properly uh, because we have seen some of these articles. I'm sure Nick will put some uh, articles in the show notes for people to read up on on some of these things. And and we've spoken about cask investment before when when we didn't know anything about it. And it did seem too good to be true, if I'm honest. I was like, this sounds amazing. I don't have the money for this, but if I did, I'd consider it. But of course, make sure you get advice and financial advice. That was how we caveated it because it did seem ridiculous what was being offered. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say the person we spoke to was one of these sharks, but it still seemed far too good to be true. And so naturally, when I when I see you doing this, I'm obviously a little bit dubious. But yeah. hearing hearing you talk the way you are makes me think, okay, well, actually, this guy's at least aware of the pitfalls enough to be talking about them because that honesty is is incredible that's that's what you want to like if i'm going to buy something from someone or invest a lot of money in them i want that person to explain the risks to me and be open with the fact that you know other people are are overpricing or whatever so how transparent are you about even your markup because the reason i say that i know that the insurance brokerage industry had a massive shift where it was became regulated where insurance brokers had to declare what their markup was as they sold a package for sure uh, and obviously whiskey I, I my understanding is this isn't a regulated industry no. uh, but but i feel like that kind of policy would deter people like if that was a blanket thing that would deter people uh, from selling a, a cask for an overpriced thing because they wouldn't be able to. Now, naturally, you expect there to be a markup. There should be a markup. You're an intermediary. You're someone I. You'd be someone I trust, and you'd have to build a relationship. To say I trust you to have got a decent whiskey or to have researched a number of distilleries, so on and so forth, and come to me with a thing. So, how transparent are you within that process when someone says, "Do you know what? I like the idea of this." You know, they're getting a choice of whiskey. You're giving them variety options. What, what's the deal there? It's a really good question, Dave. Um, I suppose the easy way to answer it is uh, completely transparent. 
the deal with us is we are very selective. So whereas most of these brokerages or, or traders, they give themselves all different sorts of names. Everyone is sort of bad mouthing everybody else, but they're the best in the business. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> you know, first thing I would say is don't trust anyone. You know, <laughs> don't trust me. Why should you trust me? You know, you don't know me. Don't trust anyone. That's a good point. Don't trust men with beards. They're just number one. Yeah, don't, trust, <laughs> don't trust men with beards. <laughs> so I would say don't trust anyone. Um, the main question I would ask myself, and I've been ripped off. I was ripped off by the first company I worked with. Okay. So I invested a little over 30,000 pounds with the knowledge that that was at their purchase prices or the assumed knowledge. I was shown certain things and it all looked kosher. Actually, the reality was over 12,000 pounds was taken out of my pocket. Wow. And I worked with this company. Wow. Of the over a million pounds of business that I did in my first year, over 40% of that was profit siphoned out of the business. Not good. Okay. Mm. So first of all, first question you have to ask yourself is, why is this person selling me this investment? All of the best casks that I have, yeah, investment-wise, long-term sort of profitability, who do you think owns them? Me or my clients? <laughs> you. Fuck no, I'm not going to sell them. Why would I sell them? It makes no sense. I've got the best investment here ever. Let me give it to you. If I'm going to give away one of the best investment opportunities I have, I'm going to put a wallop of a price on top of it. Yeah. So if anyone calls you up and goes, I've got the best opportunity ever for you, it's probably too good to be true. But like I say, why are they selling it to you? Okay, so number one, is it that good of an investment? But number two, what's their exit? What's the long game? A lot of these companies are selling you an investment and the investment is predicated on other investors coming into the market. So it's, oh, well, the market is booming at the minute. We've seen... And they throw all different sorts of numbers around. One of the main ones is 582%, mm. which was from a report done by Knight Frank. And it was actually a report done on the top performing bottles. So it has nothing to do with casks. It's just regurgitated bullshit that people are throwing around. Now I've had yeah, sponsored you know? posts come up on my Instagram with that. For sure, for sure, thing. for sure. What, with the 582%? Yeah, yep. it's, a, it's one of those ones people have sort of locked into it. Um, Another one of the returns that people use uh, and sort of uh, examples that they use is the bottle of Macallan that was purchased for £75,000. And then two of them went in auction over the last few years for 800k and 1.5 million. Oh, look at these. You know, yeah. These are not everyday returns. Not every bottle of whiskey that you buy does that. These are very select scenarios. Also, bottles, not casks. Also, bottles, not casks. So that's something important to understand. But if you're buying purely predicated on other people getting involved in the market, then you are just fueling this investment world. The value or the perceived value is not there. It is 100% not there. If you're being told, well, you, you can flip it at this auction, you know, our auction performances, are good, you are literally playing into the world that is being created by these brokers, by these traders. Okay. There is no benefit. The reason that I would say I am different and why you could potentially trust me a little bit more, you know, but I still say <laughs> you should be cautious with everybody. And, you know, why should I be any different? We're a bottler. So if I sell you a cask, I am not going to give it to you. I'm not going to DO it over to you. So you're the beneficial owner. 
but legally I'm still in control of it or our company, I should say, the Whiskey Baron is still in control of it. And we are looking to work with you to buy it back at a later date. So for me, as I say, this is all self-funded, the business. You know, I'm 27 years old. It's not like I'm a millionaire, unfortunately, hopefully soon. Uh, but, you know, to lock up, you know, multiple casks for 5, 10, 15 years time is a lot of money. So if I can work with select private individuals and say, all right, you know, we'll sell you this cask now, buy it back at roughly this price at roughly this time, you know, I then break down for them. This is what I'm buying the cask at. I put between 5 and 12% margin on the front end, always very honest about that. Uh, we then store it. We may be, we'll do a re-racking thing, whatever. We break down the plan for the bottling and then we break down, right, this is where you'll be at when it's bottled. This is roughly how many bottles you could expect. This is what we would sell the bottles for. And these are the other costs in order to get it to become a bottle. So we'll break it down completely showing this is what we're going to sell it to you for. And this is how we can buy it back from you at this price. Now, this is never guaranteed. And this is why I hate the word guarantee. One of the things that can happen with whiskey, and it's rare, but your cask could burst and leak all over the floor. Now, most insurances won't cover that, which means you could potentially lose your entire investment. Mm-hmm. This is one thing that most people don't bring up. you know. So I make my clients aware of all of these different things. And if they're still interested. And if we have a good rapport and I feel like they could be, you know, it has to be right for them, but equally it has to be right for us. Absolutely. Then we make the decision to work with that person. We have strict contracts with all of our clients. They are absolutely not allowed to put any casks into any auctions. If they want to sell it, it has to be sold through us or a trusted vendor. It doesn't mean that we're putting a commission on the back end. It just means that we can certify who it's going to, that it's not going to be flipped around in these, you know, auction investment trader markets that are just creating a big problem, essentially. Um, And essentially, the important thing is it ends up in a bottle. Now, whether that's the Whiskey Baron or one of the brands that we work with on Ushki or somebody that I don't know, it makes no odds to me. But so long as it ends up where it should be in the bottle. Yeah. And what you're saying is that essentially, no matter how it's bottled or what it's bottled for, somewhere Mm -hmm. on that label will still say the Whiskey Baron or... Ushki oh, yeah. or one of, one of your company names, which also means that you're you've got some reason to make sure that liquid is good if you're going to sell it. Actually, Dave, no. Sorry to butt in, mate. Um, is that's not it, that's not the case not, either? No, 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 no. If you wanted to do a whiskey and things, you know, bottling, and you came to me and you said, Jake, look, we want to have a Glen Talkers, ten year old Glen Talkers, <laughs> yeah, and we want to bottle it at cask strength, and we want, you know a thousand bottles, you know, whatever it is, I can go out and source that. And it doesn't have to say anything about the whiskey baron or me on there at all. Right. We would facilitate the bottling, but it would be yours entirely. So right. we've done a few bespoke bottlings for private clients. We're working on a couple at the minute. Sometimes we do collaborations. Uh, I don't know if you know Dan from the Summerton Club. We are, yep. Yep. Aware of the Summerton Anyone Club. Anyone who loves Summerton Club, big up Dan and the Summerton Club. Yeah. Uh, we love Dan. We love the Summerton Club. We did a release yeah. with them. Uh, We've not met Dan, but I'm just aware of the Summerton Club, and I know. Oh, you have to get him on the podcast. You love Dan. Yeah. Um, he'd probably be drinking his samples more than you would. <laughs> 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 no, he's uh, he's he's great crack. Really, really good crowd. Really great club that they've got there. And we did a collaboration with them. So it was the Whiskey Baron and Summerton Club. So we did like a joint label. So nice. we wanted to do that sort of thing as well, but. Um, 
But no, if somebody wanted, you know, a corporate or a private bottling, it doesn't have to say anything about the whiskey bar. Right. The yeah, main no. thing for us, though, is it ends up in a bottle. And this is the right. thing. Ultimately, people are investing in whiskey. They're being missold, given misinformations about the market. It's all predicated on more investors climbing into the industry. <sighs> it's what happened in the wine market. Right. They drove the bubble up. People in the industry drove the bubble up. And then when it popped, they weren't the ones holding all the stock. All of their clients were. And the yeah. messed up thing is a lot of people from the wine industry that created the problem in the wine industry. Are moving into whiskey. No, they moved over fucking ages ago, mate. Right. They were the first ones. They were the early adopters. Yeah. They were the ones who got in early enough to buy the stuff at the best prices. Because five years ago, I was, was able to buy. This. Yeah. Let me give you this as an example. Five years ago, I was able to buy a cask of Dalmore. Yeah. Five, seven years old for maybe four, maybe 5,000 pounds top. These casks are going now for like 20 plus thousand pounds. It doesn't make any sense. You can't make money off them as a bottler. Yeah. These things are being flipped around and I get lists off. I actually don't get that many lists sent to me anymore because people are fed up with me saying, no, <laughs> yeah, I'm not paying those prices. Like it's ludicrous. But unfortunately, more investors are coming in because there's more companies popping up. I mean, even since the beginning of this year, I've been approached by like five, six new companies. Oh, we need supply. Okay, cool. What's your bottling company called? Oh, no, we're not. We're an investment company. You know, we've got all these, you know, institutional investors. We're going to lay down loads of whiskey. Their plans never make any sense. You know, it's, it's very, very frustrating. So do you, would you welcome regulation within this industry then? A hundred percent. I'm actually currently, so a few articles, if anyone who's listening is interested in investing in casks of whiskey, there are three articles that have come out recently um, by people I have a lot of respect for. Philippe Schreberg did a very short article in Forbes. I think he did five things to look out for. Philippe is an, he's a bit of a legend, to be honest. Anyway, I've got a lot of respect for him. Uh, but he did five pretty basic things to look out for. Definitely read that. It's on Forbes. Uh, Blair Bowman was the one who kicked it off. I, I spoke with him um, while he was writing this, and I think he's done a fantastic job. It's a good few pages. It really goes into a bit more depth. Uh, and I think it's called Fool's Gold. But type in you know, Blair Bowman, Whiskey Cask Investment, it'll come up. And then Christopher Coates for Whiskey Magazine is the last one. I don't know Christopher Coates. I did actually, funnily enough, email him about two years ago about this issue saying, and Philippe was the one who passed me his details, saying he's the one who'll do a bit of investigative journalism. Unfortunately, nothing came of it, but something's come of it now, so which is great. So I'd highly recommend you read those three articles. Uh, and Nick, I'll send you the links if you don't have them already. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a little thing myself because I think it's important that people in the industry you know, make noise about this. Uh, and I think, yes, it does. It absolutely needs regulation. Um, and the only place that that's going to come from is HMRC, really. Yeah. HMRC are the ones handing out the licenses. You know, these casks are held in bond. Uh, and ultimately, I think HMRC need to look at the companies that are entering the space. Most of them are investment companies and they are not regulated by the, um, is it the FSA now? FCA, yeah, 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 yeah. it changed, didn't it? But anyway, whichever one, yeah, yeah. Um, they're not regulated at all, but they're talking about investments and making all these, you know, it's completely illegal, I'm sure of it, but nobody's yeah. looking any closer. Yeah. You know, I've had clients 
from other buying casks from other brokerages approach me saying, oh, Jake, you know, seen your brand, love your brand. And we see that you actually buy casks and, you know, you bottle them. I think it was after the Springbank video we did. Um, and I've had clients come to me, oh, you know, I've got this fantastic portfolio. I'd love to do a bottling with you. Delighted. Cool. Send me over the information. And these casks are just like way too expensive. And I've had to say to these people, oh, I'm sorry, I wouldn't be buying these at these prices for another five to 10 years. Yeah. You know, some of these people are spending uh, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds. I've actually had this year alone, I think three, four people now, actually. Yeah, four people this year alone transfer their stock into my Wowga because they were being ignored by the company that they had invested in, that they had realized the cast that they had purchased didn't exist. Oh, wow. And this is the thing. If you don't know what you're buying, you're just going based on the person who sold you their information. You yeah. know, one of the worst things that I hate seeing is casks being sold, but being sold as this cask is 280 bottles. Mm -hmm. Because you see that and you think you're buying 280 bottles. 280 bottles. What you don't think about is the cost of all the glassware, the cost of the labels, the £28.74 of duty that you've got to pay it, you know, to get it into the bottle. You know, if you want to build a brand, the cost of building a brand, I tell you why, it's not cheap, lads, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. All of these things add up, but they're not given that information in the first instance. So I think, yes, uh, somebody needs to step in, whether it is the sort of financial conduct authority I personally think what really needs to happen is HMRC needs to step in and implement a newer system. You know, these casks, most warehouses run on barcode systems. It's old school. It's like in the past. If we use blockchain technology and, you know, put each cask onto the blockchain and every broker, every warehouse, every individual had one application or portal to go into and you had to use that one and the information that's in there cannot be changed, there would be no question about what you're buying, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But there's all different sorts of things. I mean, distilleries releasing spirit from, uh, onto the open market now won't label it as their own spirit. So Highland Park, for example, they don't sell casks onto the open market as Highland Park. They sell it as Whitlaw. Have you ever heard of Whitlaw before? No. No. So Whitlaw is a cask of Highland Park. But the question is, can you label it as distilled at Highland Park Distillery? Now, some people will say yes. Others will say no. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what anybody says. The person who's selling it to you could say, oh, yeah, of course you can label it as Highland Park. Unless Edrington sign off that you can label it as Highland Park, it's irrelevant. You know, yeah. it's the brand. Yeah. So if the brands had the control over that and, you know, every time a cask is regaged, it's set in there. You can't, you know, alter that information people would have much more clarity over what they're buying. They'd also be able to see previous purchase prices. This is one thing about, uh, I don't know if you guys are into this whole crypto NFT space. I don't know huge amounts about it. I'm but, aware of it. My brother's trying to teach me. Uh, sure. so, yeah, I'm going to learn myself. Yeah. But with non-fungible tokens, one of the biggest benefits is that you can see a history of that product or item or whatever it is. So you could see that it's created by Distillery X it's sold to the whiskey baron at X. And then you can quite clearly see if I have put my 5% margin on, or if I've been one of the other cheeky boys who are putting, you know, 50, 100, 200% on. Yeah. And it's happening. Believe me, guys, 
big margins are being whacked on because people don't know what they're buying. And it is, it's, it's really worrying. So yes, I would, I would welcome, I am pushing for some sort of regulation. It needs to happen. You know, at the minute, the distilleries are producing amazing spirit. They're letting it out onto the open market for blending purposes. You know, they're selling it at the low, low price so that trade can, you know, take advantage of the situation. And then people that are adding no value, doing nothing for the industry other than tearing it apart, are selling the spirit way up here. What right do they have? Yeah. None. I think it's disgusting, to be honest with you. And, and also, just as a whiskey consumer from, like, just if you're someone who buys a whiskey in a shop, that's gonna, it's going to make prices go up in the long term and, okay. or make it hard for your, your favourite independent oh. bottlers to continue giving you reasonably priced, high-quality whiskey because the cask's going to be too expensive. Exactly, uh, Dave. And unfortunately, in the wine world, you know, a lot of these bottles ended up sitting there uh, you know, sometimes that's bad, but often with wine, it goes through peaks and troughs of being, you know, drinkable and this is the perfect time to drink it and you should let it rest for another 10 years at this point, whatever. In the cask, whiskey is constantly maturing, but it will reach a point where it will become overly oaked, tart, you know, and essentially go off for lack of a better word. Now, it's not a problem now, but in five, 10 years, more people pouring money into this, you know, millions of pounds are being poured in at the minute. Um, by all the wrong people, <laughs> I would add, um, by some of the right people, you know, obviously, you know, you can't tar everyone with the same brush. And I'm sure a lot of people watching this will probably think I'm one of them. And, you know, if that's fair enough, but I, I think that it's really going to destroy the industry. We should, like I say, we should be focusing on brands. We should be focusing on bottles. And that's the other thing with the blockchain, the distilleries could opt to actually, it's the same with artists. They can opt to get a commission for every sale moving forward. Mm. So if a distillery sells a cask onto the open market, they could select to have a 10% commission. So even if someone does, you know, buy a cask for a thousand pounds and then decides to turn it around for 5,000 pounds, at least the distillery is still getting some added Something. value for that. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, the ones who are putting in all the hard work here. These exactly. traders are doing very little. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, it's all really, it's all very interesting. So, so essentially, what we're saying is, uh, check out the Whiskey Baron website, but don't buy their Angels packet because it, it just, <laughs> it's, it's just a big con. Zan's a con. Man. <laughs> yeah, what I'd say is that don't, invest don't even in know what it looks like unless you are a lover of whiskey and you want to, you, you want to do it as something. If you're just in it to flip it around overnight and make a quick buck. Not going to happen. No, also, you, you've got to be prepared to burn the money, aren't you? I think you've got yeah. to you've got to have enough money to say, "Well, I'm spending this, however many thousands of pounds." And if it all ends up as nothing, it's not going to hurt my retirement. Mm. It's not going to, you know. And there's only a select few people that have that kind of money, and good good on them if they do. Exactly. But you know, don't pour your savings into it, even if someone is legit pouring your savings to it. There's no guarantee. Of you, there's never any guarantee. Anything. No, no, exactly. I think that's the most prudent advice you could g probably give at this point, isn't it? Yeah, there are people with money to burn. Well, why not buy a cask from someone who's doing it properly and it's helping the whiskey industry and that so, so on and so forth? And you may end up with some nice bottles to give your kids when they turn 18, 21 or whatever you want to do. But there's the other side, isn't there? You've got to always think about the downside, guys. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So in the meantime, I have been trying this whiskey. 
Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. I got a bit heated there. I pulled no, myself a dram to chill out. No, 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 no. no. Jake, 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 do you know what? That's that. I love your passion when you're talking about it, and especially seeing as you are selling casks. I think it's really, I think it's wonderful to see that you're talking out about the dangers of this, uh, and you're being transparent. I think, you know, that that's gonna that could hurt you. You know, if you wanted to be less transparent, you'd make more money. But, oh, but, but actually, I could cash in if I really wanted to, but there'd be no longevity. Yeah. The, the, the relationships I've worked so hard to build, immediately everyone would turn around to me and just cut me off. And what's yeah. the point? For a quick buck, you know, I'm here for the long term. We want to build the Whiskey Baron into a, a, you know, a really big global brand. That's yeah. what's important here. Um, so, yeah, no. Well, anyway, talk to me. What do you think about... Uh, I just when you said that, I just imagined a load of like guys dressed as the whiskey baron running around like Ronald McDonald's, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I don't know if that would be cool or scary. <laughs> franchising yourself all over the globe. Interesting. Anyway, Interesting. Your, yeah. way, your, your mind works in mysterious ways. It does. <laughs> You're listening to whiskey and things. Nick, what you are a Pete head. Uh, so wh- how are you feeling about this, this, uh, this Port Charlotte? I'm finding the Pete, very subtle. I'm thinking the red wine cask has um, transformed this. Mm-hmm. I was expecting something very different. Um, there was a bit of peat there. I was expecting a lot more. I'm not disappointed. Don't get me started. No, no, yeah, fair play. But uh, yeah, it's a beautiful, strong flavour. Again, it's uh, what ABV we're talking on this. Uh, I think that was 60.5. Yeah, that's ridiculous because it doesn't feel like it. It's just full of flavour for me. It's not, you know, blowing I, my head. It's absolutely lovely. I'm getting peat more at the end. Then, yes. then when it's in your mouth, it comes out afterwards. So once, once mm. the once the, the retro the li- hail, yes, that's yeah. where <laughs> retro hail. Wow, that's a word I've not heard. Is that one of your whiskey terms, Nick? That you've learned that from reading uh, something, have you? Uh, yeah, I've read a book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's a word. <laughs> Jake saying very quiet as if he just made that <laughs> word. I don't know. No comment over here. <laughs> well, it is now. Um, yeah. No, it's um. It's unlike anything I've had. Uh, the red wine, Nick. I'm not getting too much of a of a dryness. There's some of it at the end, but not not. Oh, I am. I'm getting you it at are. the beginning. Interesting. With Interesting. Yeah. But this is a this is a lovely drop. Now I prefer the other one because I'm more of a sherry head than I am a peat head, uh, which is which is absolutely fine. But this, in terms of a peat whiskey, is very enjoyable. Uh, and as Nick said, probably because it's it's more subtle. So for someone like me, actually. It's enough of that peaty flavour without being overbearing. Sure. Um, and there's enough other stuff in there. It's not just a medicinal peat. There's, as Nick said, there's a, there's a fruitiness to it. And on the nose, inspired by our tasting notes earlier, I was getting chocolate hobnobs. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. The, the interesting thing for this one with me is, like I say, I said earlier, I get something different every time I go back to it. Oh, uh, that would make it's- sense. It's a really challenging dram. It's not the sort of dram, you know, you want to sit down and chill out and not think about anything. You don't pour yourself this. This is for, you know, really going into some tasting notes and exploring and having a bit of fun for me. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right on the peat. One thing for me and why I was so keen to bottle this, this is a cask I chased for quite a long time. I love peated whiskeys in wine casks. There's something about it. The wine brings a beautiful roundness to the dram. Uh, it really balances it. And there is still that 
element of Pete, but it's not, as you said, Dave, so in your face and forward. Yeah, very, very approachable. There's more sweetness than you would get with a non- uh, wine cast Pete or in this in this particular version there definitely is as well hell of a um, lot yeah 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 you know if you told me that this was a blend of a sherry cask and a peated peated cask or some peated whiskey and a sherry cask I'd believe you it's it's that kind of it's that kind of vibe isn't it for me what do I Nick's know? gone very quiet you're comparing yeah, the two no, are you no I'm comparing I've, I know it's not going to be exactly got, the same I was just intrigued got the, by um, the Port Charlotte original the 10 hmm. I was just seeing how they were different uh, oh cool fantastic what do you think what's the I'm getting a bit more citrus and lemon on the original. Yeah. On the Port Charlotte heavily peated 10. And this on your one, I'm getting a, like more floral kind of a perfumey notes from it, especially on the nose. So I'm loving. Yeah. There's, there's definitely, definitely that. Nick, you're right. Rose, a rose element on the nose. Oh, what was rose that? on the Hold nose? On. Hold the phone. Hang on. I'm holding it. Oh, orangey. Orangey on the palette. Anyway, God, every time lovely. you're right, Again. I get you, you. This is this is so deep. Like there's there's so much depth in this. In terms of every time you're finding a different note. Everything I'm picking things out. It's very complex. I'm I'm picking things out. I can't. This is a problem I've always had. I can't name things very well. I remember like, they're triggering memories for me. But it's just picking the word or the actual tasting note out for me. You know, I'm loving it. That's the thing. Again, sometimes you just got to sit back and say. That's really nice, and you don't yeah. have to worry about the taste. No, of, of course, yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. could just worry about them. Yeah. I can go. Oh, it's, why didn't I get that? Ah, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, it's just really, really, it really, is really nice. Very nice. You're right. So, how much is a bottle of this? You can. This is available. Uh, I saw it on Ushki, so I know it's on Ushki. But uh, it's also on our uh, on our on Wisp- website. Yeah, um, it's 160 pounds. Wow. Okay. So this is this is a very uh, luxury item for for Nick and I for sure, but. Um, actually, I, I understand, well, in my opinion, I would say that's right for a whiskey of this complexion with this much depth to it. And um, has the peat kind so of... So well balanced. It's yeah. so well balanced. For me, it's the like peated whiskies, they get a bit less peaty as they're matured longer, aren't they? Is that possibly what might have happened? Well, in terms of my palate, I can't taste the peat as much. Oh, no, absolutely, yeah. It draws all the, when, when you're in the cask, it draws all of that out and peat dissipates over time anyway. So, mm. yes. And the fact, as we were saying as well, that it's a wine cask, I feel it does just bring that roundness and sort of take some of the edge of the peat off, which yeah. often, you know, is the slightly overpowering bit. If you're left with the peat in your mouth, whereas it's just an element along the way, you know, as Dave said, it's not as prominent. Um, I mean, for me and Stevie as well, this was one of the, I think this was actually Stevie. He, we were going up uh, and it was before we bottled this. It was one of our, I think it was the Somerton Club bottling, wasn't it? it, was, yeah. it was the Somerton Club bottling. And um, we had been out, we drew samples from a few casks and we drew a sample from this cask. And this was before I knew I wanted to bottle it. I've been trying this for years and I was pretty adamant that I was just going to keep it for personal drinking for like right. for the rest of my life and tell nobody. And we had drawn a sample and I poured a dram for Stevie and his face just lit up. And he's like, this is, this is, this is why people love whiskey. Like this is so different to anything I've ever tried. And we sat down and we started talking about all the different tasting notes. And one thing he and I both got from this is built on me. I don't know if you guys. Ah. Oh. Oh, the element of it. Well, that's like we talking about like the uh, meat jerky. Yeah. yeah, 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 like Australian way of quality. Yeah, South mm. African, Australian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
so yeah, we got this built on meat off of it. But it was in that moment and seeing how he reacted to it, I was just like, actually, I can't keep this just to my, I need to bottle this under the brand and, and get it out there because it will do that for so many other people, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an amazing cask. Uh, it's actually direct from Mark Rainier's private portfolio. I don't know if I'm supposed right. to say that. Uh, but yeah, obviously <laughs> Mark Rainier, he, uh, he bought the distillery in 2000, 2001 for like 6.5 million and then built it up over 10 or 11 years and sold it for something like 56 million, I think. Like really, he did huge things for that distillery. And one of the main things he did was bring his wine contacts over uh, because he, he had been in the wine industry the wine before, uh, which is why Brookladdy now have their MRC, how, you know, and why they're able to denote the specific regions and, and in some cases specific chateaus that the casks have come from because of his connections. So, yeah, this is exclusive maturation in, in the Von Ramonet, straight from his private portfolio. Uh, and for me, I was just, uh, yeah. This could have been a Jim McEwen dis- yeah. distillation. Mm. Sorry, guys, Stevie was just asking. So we bottled this and he said, have you re-racked anything into the old cask? Because obviously the Von Ramonet was first filled for this. Mm. Uh, we've actually put a Kalila into it now. Oh, wow. So yeah. We've got a 12-year-old bourbon-matured Kalila, and we're going to finish it for a few years and see how that goes. Nice. So, so yeah, so still loads more to come from the cask itself. That'll be really interesting. Like that. Just a thought, with that, so I don't want to go back to the cask investment stuff so much. I'm just wondering if there's people do try sometimes to say, okay, we sell you this cask, but we're selling you the liquid that's in it, but we then own the cask again yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Does that happen so you can then yep. reuse it? Yeah, a lot of a lot of the companies do that. A lot of the distilleries do that. Right. Uh, so obviously, there's all these brokers that you can invest in. And again, don't want to go back to it too much, but the distilleries obviously sell their own casks as well. Now, some of these casks are quite expensive. And as I said at the very beginning, as a bottler, I would err on the side of caution buying a new make cask from a new distillery because you don't know what it's going to be like. However, I would encourage you more so to buy from distilleries than from brokers if you're doing it for the right reason, passion and, and enjoyment and, and contributing, because ultimately the distilleries are reinvesting that money into making more whiskey, uh, making more whiskey into the, uh, you know, into the, into the industry as a whole. So yeah, I mean, uh, they are more likely to do it at the distilleries, but certain brokers do that as well. And again, that's, you need to know what you're buying. Does it include yeah. the cask? Does it include storage? Does, you know, all these different things. And if anyone is unsure about casks, would just like to talk. I always say to people, no strings attached, give me a ding, more than happy to talk you through it. And one thing I'll always say to people is, if you've got an opportunity to buy a cask at a good price elsewhere, I'll always tell you if it is a good buy. Because if you're buying it at a good price and I can tell you that and give you all the information you need, maybe in five, 10, 15 years time, when it comes you might to, sell it to, you. Ready to sell it, they'll sell it to me. <laughs> yeah. So there's a benefit there, you know, it's yeah, got to work both ways. I don't have to sell you something. You know, a couple of hundred quid here or there in the short term means nothing to me. If I can buy really good whiskeys and build a brand, that's a big benefit. So, so yeah, really good question, Nick, and definitely something to, to consider. Hmm. Absolutely. So we've had these two great whiskeys and uh, at different ends of the pay scale as well, really. Um, You're glad you didn't start with the Port Charlotte now, Dave? Um, yeah, I am. I think. Well, I think they're both wonderful. I can see now. I do need to have a glass of water if I'm going to try something else yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, 
and, and talking of which, we are now going to try something else, but that's going to go uh, exclusive to Patreon. Uh, if you've got time, Jake, we'll just do a little tasting of that, just a short little tasting yeah, um, with you with that. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on the on the podcast. This has been a really fascinating conversation. It has. Uh, and, and, um, guys. and also, thank you for rescheduling. We were supposed to do this a couple of weeks ago, but the, the issues with my voice over the last, last months meant we had to reschedule. So thanks very much for uh, being so flexible with us and sending yeah. us these wonderful samples. And I'm hopefully we had to have a dram in real life review at some point oh. as well. Definitely, guys. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much for having me and thank you for anyone who's listening. Hopefully I haven't bored the pants off you. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure not. Cheers, Jake. Thanks, dude. Listen, gents, have a wonderful afternoon. Take care of yourself. Slauncher. You're listening to Whiskey and Things. So the full uncut version of that interview will be up on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash whiskey and things. Please consider going to subscribe over there. It does us a massive favor and really helps us out. Uh, And there'll be a bonus episode with him as well on Patreon, exclusively on Patreon later this week, as well as we said earlier. But find out more about the Whiskey Baron on whiskeybaron.co.uk. As Nick said, there's a YouTube channel as well. Uh, And all of these social links uh, and places you can buy his whiskey will be in the show notes which should be in the description to wherever you listen to podcast but some of them the links aren't active so if it's not working for you just go on our website whiskeyandthings.com and uh, if you're listening to an episode after the fact like a few few months maybe maybe you're binging maybe you're in the middle of a binge uh, and and this is years after is first aired. There is an archive on the website as well, so you can find all the previous show notes uh, and all those links as well in case it's not available on your podcast platform. But um, lovely chat that, Nick, wasn't it? it was so honest. It was. It was. It was. Yes. He knows his stuff and he's passionate about it and he wants to do the right thing for the industry, which I liked. Um, but don't trust him, as he says. Uh, don't it. trust him when it comes Who to the task. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, it made me think, Nick, that we um, we should put a new T-shirt up on our Zazzle. Uh, don't trust men with beards. Oh dear! I think well, you should I've work got a beard it. anymore. I think you should work on it. You reckon I should work on that? Yeah. You used to have a T-shirt with just a beard. Yeah, I did. Yeah, someone's got that tattooed on them. That's yeah. another story for another day. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> the, the, anyway, back to this. Uh, all the whiskies we've tried today have been amazing, really yes. fantastic. That both the two you've heard about in this show and the one we've done for the Patreon Extra, just three completely different flavour profiles, but really high quality, really high quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Feta Cairn is what we did for the uh, Patreon Extra. That was lovely, vanillary, and yeah, wonderful, brilliant. Now they don't have to go and listen to the Patreon Extra. <laughs> What? It's not like a. <laughs> I'm yeah, fine. Fine. Oh, so yeah, that was basically what I said fine. in the in the extra bit. That's what he said. It's lovely. That was it. Yeah, the actual video is about like two seconds long. So <laughs> there we go. We didn't like go into it or anything. We'll get one word whiskey it. reviews exclusively on Patreon. Reasons to sign up. Well, it's like my brother's review last week of the uh, Woodford Reserve. Smells, Smells good. It tastes, tastes really good. good. I like it. So I like it. Or whatever it was. <laughs> Good old Paul. Good old Paul. Anyway, thank you very much for listening this week. Uh, as I say, we said earlier we've got some excited stuff coming up over the next couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, stick around. Make sure you've hit the subscribe button. I'm sure you have already. And, Smash uh, it. We'll see you soon. Yeah, take care. The angels have had their share. And so have you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks for coming. coming. 
Whiskey and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.